Hello and welcome to the Wolf Den Podcast, your home for competitive Digimon TCG discussion and news. I'm your host, Nako, joined by my co-host, Zenitsu. This week, we'll be discussing our experiences at the 2022 Digimon National Finals. Listen to us on your favorite podcasting networks. Link in the description below or find us at Wolf Den Digimon TCG. On top of that, this is also a live stream over on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Zenitsu, and it's also uploaded as a YouTube video under the YouTube channel of Zenitsu. So thank you for everyone that's joined us on this journey so far. This will be our last episode of season one of the podcast, covering the span of the 2022 competitive season, more or less. And with that, we're going to use this episode to talk about all of the experiences we had at Nats, um, how it went for us, you know, uh, what we felt and what we saw. And then we have a lot of the math behind the scenes. Not all of this is uh, completely public information, too, or at least not known to the public. So there's a little bit of an exclusive there as far as figuring out what was played and what won based on what it was played. And the math isn't going to be 100% accurate, uh, but it is as close as I humanly got based on the information that was given. Yeah, we had, um, there's some still some um, obscurity as far as some stuff, but we did a pretty good job of framing out with the information we had. This is what the tournament looked like from a top down, and uh, we parsed through the data to really put some numbers behind it to give to you guys but before we get into the actual data uh how'd you feel about the event nako uh i thought it was pretty fun i mean the actual like the whole weekend itself was pretty entertaining uh the side events the just the atmosphere it was it was a pretty cool place to be I 100% agree with that sentiment. Uh, I haven't really competed in a big-scale tournament like that in quite a while. So going out, meeting everyone, playing the highest level of Digimon we could possibly play in person uh, in California, nonetheless, was definitely interesting. My only complaint, mostly, was the weather. Uh, it was raining when it Usually doesn't rain in California, so that Rainy was... Rainy uh, and cold. Yeah, so that was that's probably the biggest complaint I had, next to probably the lackluster prizing. Um, I think that they could have definitely done a little bit better. Last year was definitely more appealing. Granted, the, you had to pay for the shipping last year, and it was online, and this was free as long as you showed up. So there's there's a little bit of a difference there, but... I definitely feel like the pricing was a little bit weaker, but overall, I thought the event was pretty well ran, and everything was pretty tight in terms of, like, how things were ran. Yeah, um, I don't have too many experiences with a card game convention specifically so much. Uh, I've been to a couple, you know, Magic GPs, and for the comparison there i think this was done maybe better because i know magic gps are kind of known for being well they're they're not as competitive necessarily because they're there's no qualifier to enter them as much as there's a just like it's a two-day event and anyone can kind of show up to day one or sometimes you get some sort of like buy to day two if you've won a smaller event that qualified you there but 
um, as far as you know, going to a card game tournament that had rented out a convention center, and that was the only thing to do there. It wasn't attached to a convention or anything. It was actually run very smoothly. And they even had some extra stuff for us to do in the forms of side events on top of last chance qualifiers to try to get into the main day. The lines on Friday were a little bit longer than I wanted, and the art museum was also pretty neat, seeing all of the cards in full art, no text attached. That was definitely something special a lot of people, I think, appreciated, because one of the big draws to Digimon is just how good the art is, even on some of the most basic mundane cards. Like, Digimon's got some of the best art in the TCG space, so letting them breathe in a nice frame was definitely nice. Uh, my only other complaint was probably the Survive promos. Uh, those were in short supply. Uh, I tried three times, one on each day, to get them, and they ran out before I could get to them because the lines were that long. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I mean, they probably could have handled that maybe better instead of just requiring you to line up and do, like, at least... It would maybe require them to change their thinking on what the survive promos are supposed to be, but if they maybe just included them in participation of something, if not the event itself, then maybe one of the side events or uh, the team event or the win a mat, like because I think those were underplayed compared to the win a box and the win a Koromon. But uh, to your point about the, the the prizing, I think you have to consider the prizing as a whole. While I think the actual participation for the event and maybe the prizing for the main event was less, if you consider the total scheme of how many win -a boxes did they do total, how many win -a mats, how many Koromons, how many Greymons, they did a 3v3 team event every single day, the total prizing was still far superior to last year. It's just what you got for the main event was less, maybe. You that That is actually a pretty good point, because on the online version... It, it was literally just limited to the main event. There was nothing yeah, there else. Side events. So that, that is lost a... and you turned off your computer <laughs> instead of like waiting around. So that's, that's a very good point. There was just more to do uh, and more given out. And even in the art museum, um, they also had the illustration packs that they were handing out uh, like candy. Mm -hmm. Again, should I think the survive promo should have been a part of that, but that's neither here nor there. And um, there was also uh, artists doing signatures like Kenji Watanabe. Uh, I know a lot of people were waiting in line for the artists. So I think like the whole experience was grander and it was definitely a lot of fun meeting as many people as I could and seeing all of the other YouTubers and interacting with people I normally wouldn't. Uh, it was definitely a very enjoyable experience. Yeah, it, it felt more like a complete digimon experience and less opposed to just going to a specific digimon tournament that just happened to be in person yeah i i get that uh it was funny on the last day i was gonna like think about buying some merch and then literally all of their merch in the art can or like the art side of things was sold out and i'm just like dang <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah they, they yeah they, they had a little gift shop popped up in the art side which was like I guess the quote unquote convention side. It wasn't the actual tournament. It was one of the main halls was dedicated to like cards only, just tables and card games, and the other convention hall was everything else. And in that second hall was 
the little pop-up shot, you could buy like vital bracelets and action figures and um, the cards for the vital bra- a bunch of just Bandai stuff. And yeah. they sold out of everything completely. You couldn't buy anything if you wanted to because they didn't have anything. Yeah. And, which is uh, crazy. And then they had uh, game demo stations, which is how you actually got the Survive promos. Uh, mm-hmm. Each demo lasted about five to ten minutes, and uh, it was of Digimon Next Order on uh, the Switch. So mm-hmm. uh, you got a little bit of gaming experience there, too. So it definitely was more of a, like a Digimon convention on that side of things while the tournament was going on at the same time. I will say, I think... They maybe could have utilized that space a little better because while it was cool that they had the art exhibit, like it was kind of only an art exhibit. Like the outskirts were kind of everything else. It was, you know, the gaming setup was in one corner, the pop up shop, the play uh, corner, and then there was the like signature corner. And then the 80% of the middle of it was just the rows and rows of like the framed arts, which was cool, but. If there was maybe a third convention hall for the art, it, they could have utilized that space maybe better. I would, I personally, I would have liked to see more art. Uh, they had about 150 yeah. pieces, I think, somewhere close to there. Um, and I, I would have liked to see, like, kind of going along with what you said, the space utilized a little bit better and they could have had more room for art if they would have condensed it a little bit more but obviously they wanted room for people to breathe yeah well i mean like i said i'm not disagreeing with the idea of the art exhibit i liked the the premise but it was again roughly 50 percent of the space was taken up by it so if they just had more space for more not art exhibit or more stuff to put in there i mean because if you think about like a true blue convention I know they had the PPG shop and the core shop, but realistically, they could have brought in, you know, a number of vendors and had a whole convention hall dedicated to, you know, like like a true anime convention, but for Digimon. And you have like various, you know, Etsy artists pop up and then, you know, have people selling T-shirts and people selling um, maybe like a couple more actual card vendors like, they could have had a whole space dedicated to that and not necessarily just, like, that little hallway space that they had for the one PPG booth and the one core booth that were constantly just surrounded by people the whole weekend. I'm I'm definitely agreeing with you. Uh, having, like, having Digimon t-shirts on sale, I probably would have bought one uh, versus you know an I mean? action like... figure. Although, if they would have had the, like, re-arise figures... Uh, or, like, the Amplified figures, I probably would have bought those, like the Gunpla Digimon kits, uh, mm-hmm. just because that's, like, a side hobby of mine. I mean, maybe it's Bandai just wanting, you know, all of the pie, but they they only included, like, themselves, and then a small one booth of PPG and one booth of Core TCG, and, but realistically, it could have been, like, a true blue Digimon convention, and... It could basically be like Digicon, you know, 2023 or whatever. And then they could have had all this Digimon, maybe, you know, restrict it to Digimon only. You know, they don't want to bring in people that are selling Yu-Gi-Oh cards in the back. But at the same time, they could have done more with it, maybe. Because there was so much of the convention hall that wasn't utilized. And I don't know if 
if there's a re like a reduced rate on how much because like you you know they had um you know something conventions do that the digi the tournament didn't do necessarily is they could have done more stuff upstairs like the whole upstairs of the convention center was not used at all uh, I don't Which, necessarily think they paid for that space. That's what I mean. I don't. I don't know about that. If they like, if they get a reduced rate for saying we're not going to have anyone go upstairs. But bouncing off of your idea on trying to like figure out how to utilize the space better, like they had this whole like seekers um like mm -hmm. little exhibit that was like three items and the TV running Seekers, I almost felt like they could have, like, thrown that with some of the other advertisement stuff that they were doing, and then had, like, I would have personally liked to see one semi-decently-sized TV, a couple of rows of chairs, and just uh, Crunchyroll playing, like, Digimon shows 24-7. Yeah, Digimon anime. Yeah. Just on repeat, on a loop. Yep. Throw on some of the old movies. Like I, I think that would have been pretty uh pretty spicy and fly. I mean, yeah. But I mean it, this is the baseline, right? This is the first year they've done it and the only time they've done it. I guess first and only. So basically anything that we can think of is something that maybe they considered too and they just they wanted to make sure they got the card tournament portion of it correct first before they just started adding extras. Yeah, because ultimately that's what we were there for. Yep, it was mostly for the tournament. Um, and speaking of the tournament, uh, what'd you end up uh, playing, Nako? I ended up, you know, bucking the trend. I really didn't want to play a day full of mirrors, and honestly, I was just proud that I had gotten there. So I went with Machine Jermon. Uh Definitely didn't give it the time, or maybe like the the deck tech. Uh, Time to breathe that it probably should have gotten with a deck as unique as Machine Jermon, where you could look at two lists and they'd be completely different and both be good. And uh, so I finished in the bottom 25%, just, you know, like scrubbed out. But I still in the th top thousand players in the country, so I'll take it. Uh, I ended up uh, playing the 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 Cancer himself, Black War Greymon X. Um, I've been practicing the list. I have been kind of enjoying him, awkwardly enough. I've usually been a hardcore blue player, and I just took a step back, and I wanted to play something a little bit different, kind of um, get a feel for the rest of the colors, in a sense. Uh, Black War Greymon gave me access to two at once, so it was definitely a nice refresher from the hyper aggro of blue. And I, I felt like I could have done a little bit better, some of it was my matchups, some of it was my draws, so it's that's just the name of card games. Um, and I ended up finishing 300 on the dot, uh, so upper third, which I'll take. I'll, I'm happy with upper third percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, something I told myself to make myself feel a little better, because obviously no one wants to show up to a tournament like that, especially driving or flying halfway completely across the country in our case, but um, and then just basically lose their first three or four rounds but um the the skill on average for this event was much higher yeah something i definitely got a better feel for because i played more of side events than main event and even just the side events were, were significantly higher levels of competition than you would think just from a random pickup tournament and so you know to lose against the best players in north america doesn't feel as bad as like you know, going 
two and two at locals. Uh, what kind of side events did you uh, partake in? Uh, specifically, I did a couple Coromons, like one one or two a day. I did two Winnaboxes, and then I did one of the the Greymons on Sunday. Okay. Uh, I just almost did... winning one of the Coromons. Uh, though the uh, the extra time or the top cut rulings heavily favor security control, unfortunately. And as soon as my opponent learned that all he had to do was holy wave and pass and win the game, he did that. <laughs> yeah, I uh, actually, for the side events, swapped decks. Uh, I played some blue flare on side events. I just played a couple of casual matches just to get a feel for uh, the new iteration of the deck more than my initial testing because I talked to um, the pers- one of the people who got top 32. He was helping me refine the list, and I really liked the refinements that uh, he came up with and suggested. Uh, and then based on what I had available to me, I just kind of played what I had, and... Um, the deck felt very good. I just played in a win a box and I won the box. So that was pretty nice. But I was just there mostly chilling and vibing and wanted to meet some people. Uh, I didn't get to meet everyone who wanted to see me. I didn't exactly advertise uh, as well as I probably should have that I was like where I was to meet me. I didn't feel like I was that big to you do that. You didn't do any fan meetups? No, I don't feel like I was like that big to do it. So I was kind of like scared if I did, then nobody would show up and then I'd feel sad. <laughs> um, yeah. But I just was taken in the atmosphere most of day two. Day one, I just, I didn't do any side events. Um, and I was just all in on the nine rounds and I'm pretty mm-hmm. happy with where I ended up. Yeah. Um so before we go into the data, like actual like uh math behind the event, I want to take this opportunity to shout out the Digimon Big East community. Uh it's kind of my my locals area in the greater scheme. Uh we have and I've said it on these on this episode on the podcast before, but we have a hell of a lot of good players that play in my local area and the amount of people from my locals that were at Nats was staggering. You know, there were but upwards of almost, you know, 10, 10 to 15 of us that were maybe not at like just specifically my locals, but locals and associated locals that we're all hanging out together was just crazy. And really shout out to Cliff Walker for specifically from my locals area getting top 32 and also being the only old force player to top single handedly spiking the price of Rena overnight. Uh, I guess while you're shouting out your area, um, I would like to shout out, uh, the Michigan area. We, I definitely saw a lot of my Michigan peeps there. Um, I don't think we were in as strong of numbers, uh, but we definitely had at least like maybe 10, 12 players there from Michigan. And, uh, even though none of us got in top 32, at least not that I'm aware of, uh, we definitely had our own little camaraderie and it was nice seeing everyone uh there that uh could make it yeah and i didn't go through the list and write down everyone's name individually but i know we had a lot of players do very well in this some of them undefeated going into rounds you know seven eight nine um so good on them and even if you didn't top 32 i know a lot of us did really well at this event really just showed the strength of our area competitively 
Yep. Uh, but speaking of top 32, uh, we actually have the full top 32 breakdown as like the big question on everyone's minds. Okay. This is nationals. This is the biggest tournament, uh, highest caliber of competitive events that we currently have outside of worlds, which is more exclusive. So the question on everyone's mind is what was the top 32 spread? What won, what was the breakdown, and we even, uh, like we kind of mentioned earlier, have the spread percentage-wise on the representation of each of the decks. So, um, as I said in the beginning, we do have access to the full set of data, and by full I mean just just the raw sheet uh, as provided to us by the TO, thank you for that, and so we've gone through and taken the liberty to figure out what percentage of the event each deck was, like as a whole, and then as compared to the top 32, which is already very well known. Um, but just starting there, at least, um, all this is available through uh, links in the description below provided by the Eggman, who did a nice mock-up uh, with all the players' names and their deck lists, if you want to check that out. But for just the raw info, uh, top 32 was as follows. 13, Black War Greymon X. 4, Grandis. 4, Crosshearts. 3, Blue Flare. 2, War Grey X. 2, Security Control. 1, Old Force. 1, Jessmon. 1, Doorbrick OTK. 1, BL Starmon. Yep. And as far as what actually ended up winning the event, it was Black War Greymon followed by Crosshearts coming in second, then Black War Greymon in third, and the fourth was uh, another Black War Greymon. So those are the decks. Um, I'm not going to go over the people per se, but top four is going to participate in Worlds. So congrats yeah. to all of those players um, for playing your hearts out as best as you possibly can um, in that wide field of... Uh, various different high-level players. I think it's important to note here, because I don't know if we ever said it this episode yet, but uh, this was a two-day event uh, for those competing in the main event. Yes. And those the top 32 played a separate, smaller tournament, uh, single elimination, I believe. Yep. Uh, on Sunday, after uh, being in the top 32 for day one. So yeah, day I don't one... know the exact placings of day one, but it doesn't matter because then they get they restart, come into a new day, and then just play a singular uh, best of three top cut uh, single elimination all the way until one player was undefeated. Yep, uh, there was uh, it was nine rounds of Swiss with uh, one thousand and one players participating in the event total. Yep. So. Where does that leave the decks as a whole, though? Because I know that's something that we've taken the time to find out that is not currently, um, you know, widely known information. So, Zanitsu, why don't you go down the full deck meta spread from top to bottom? Alrighty. So, as far as the meta spread... Um... Out of the 1,000 in one players, about uh, 35% were Black War, 15% were Grandis, 8% were Cross, 
Uh, I just labeled it as cross because Eggman in his uh, breakdown just labeled all of the cross decks as cross as well. He didn't separate if it was cross Merva or cross seven. So I didn't do that either. Um, just I mean, to there's keep that a lot of par. overlap, but I mean, maybe not a lot of like, explicit overlap. Obviously, if it's running Merva or if it's running Cross Hearts, it's but mostly no... the top end. You could um... technically run both, but ideally, you'd be one or the other. But honestly, yeah, for our purposes, they're they're playing Cross Hearts. Which specific variation is less important? Yep. Um, then it was six percent Mastimon, six percent Metal Guru Mon X. Uh, 6% of various other decks, um, that's basically like... 6% everything else? Yeah, it's 6% everything else. Uh, these were decks that were under 1% total representation. The only noticeable one, um, from them is going to be Dorbrickbond because it got into top 32. Everything else didn't exactly make the cut, so it's not necessarily really digging too deep into mentioning. Uh, because there was a lot of other miscellaneous decks. Um... Then there was 4% Security Control, 4% War Greybond X, 3% Blue Flare, 3% Jessmon, 2% All Force, 2% Merva Loop, 2% Machine Dramon, 2% Eximon, and 2% Beal Starmon. So that oh. is our big overarching spread of uh, decks that were represented in the whole event out of all 1,001 players. Um, I guess before we go over the comparison, do those numbers surprise you at all, Zenitsu? I mean, just looking at the top 32 and looking at the meta spread, um, is there anything that really jumps out to you? Uh, I would have thought there would have been way more Bloomlord, to be honest. Um, I think oh, yeah. Bloomlord has a pretty okay matchup into Black War Greymon, they could tech for Grandis if they really wanted to, just because they're green and they do have Grandisol. Um, and it's nobody's really hardcore playing Death Exmon. Uh, so the only like hardcore negative matchup probably would still be Grandis, where if they just get um, Terriermon and um, uh, the other Floodgate out, then I think Grandis is kind of screwed. But outside of that, I think it has like a good matchup spread. And seeing how little it was represented kind of shocked me a little bit, but that's that's the only outlier that I that came to as a surprise to me. Everything else kind of seemed where I thought it would be. I think, like based on my pr prediction before this event as well, I think I kind of nailed it right as we saw, because uh, every non or every green deck that wasn't Grandis just kind of disappeared completely you know Examon isn't a green deck you know it's really just grandis as far as if you're playing green you're playing grandis because and especially as you just mentioned bloom lord kind of loses to grandis so if you're gonna play green why play a green deck that is worse into black war that also loses to the better green deck like unless you just absolutely think bloom lord's your favorite digimon there's kind of no reason to play Bloom Lord over Grandis in this meta. I mean, I per yeah, because I was considering playing Bloom Lord. He was in my top three decks that I ended up bringing. It's just I, I just didn't necessarily feel super confident actually taking him as a plausible deck. Like I was thinking about it, and I was like, okay, 
what are the pros and cons of running Grandis over Blue Flares for me personally? And then what are the pros and cons of running Blue Flares versus uh, Black War Greymon? So I was going through all of those decision-making processes in my head, and I'm like, it's it's just not worth it to play uh, Bloomlord. As much as I like the deck, and I think it has decent matchups, it just, against the top spread, would probably still struggle. Yeah. Um, I think there's actually less Jessmon than I kind of expected. Not necessarily because I think Jessmon's especially powerful, but because I think Jessmon has enough support to really have a couple, like, really enfranchised players that are like, I'm playing Jessmon because they print it often enough to where I can just play the most recent Jessmon and still be competitive. And not a lot of decks kind of really do what Jessmon does, or play, at least they don't. They don't play with the same ratios, I guess, because they have all these cards that they want to try and fit into the same deck, all these different engines, and there's some fun and uh, just true competitiveness that come in trying to optimize those ratios. I mean, we got one in top 32, so that's something. Yeah, I just... Well, like, prior to the event, like, if you told me... Like, I guess Crossarts was kind of the dark horse... Like, I'll say that after talking with what I knew people from my area were going with, um, I had slept on Cross Arts a little bit. But prior to being there, I walked into Saturday expecting Cross Arts, but I didn't necessarily expect Cross Arts prior to showing up in California. Uh, I was initially practicing Cross Arts um, with our team and stuff, but I, I honestly just think the the threat of black war and knowing that it's going to be the most represented deck that did kind of scare me off wanting to continue to play cross hearts especially for this big event because i'm like okay if i'm going to statistically take the deck that would do the best i didn't necessarily see it would be cross hearts and that's kind of why i was scared off of blue flare as well um because similar reasons i think blue flare has a better matchup into it but um, that's neither here nor there. It's, it's definitely rough for tamer based decks. And I think, yeah, the, the fact that Jessmon does have a pretty okay matchup into Black War Greymon probably would have warranted more people to want to play it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was just something that I noticed is that, uh, I think Frost flew under a lot of people's radars you know i don't want to say mine completely because i like before it mattered i i was aware of cross art being very powerful it was mostly it was um it was actually on friday friday night specifically uh three uh three of my uh people from locals they went uh undefeated in a team tournament they won friday's team event and one of them was piling uh about seven turbo as he called it which was just get out shout seven as quickly as possible and they can do kind of fuck all about it. Yeah. I mean, the other thing about cross is just because we say cross, there's a whole bunch of different variants to how to play cross. There's cross Merva. There's cross seven. If you really wanted to even cut the Merva, you could just go true like cross five turbo and just try to like get low to the ground and be more aggressive 
um, and do a couple of other really interesting things with the deck. So there's all of these different variations. So uh, that's what makes Cross kind of really interesting is what part of Cross are you playing and how did you incorporate uh, whatever top end you're trying to end up winning with into the list. So since this is the first time we have access to the true population size of the event, we know more or less, you know, to the best of our knowledge, exactly what uh, deck every person came with. Not, you know, not down to the, not comparing them to the person, just we, we have a thousand and one deck lists that we've narrowed down because uh, the, the list we had included resubmissions. So I know I'm, I resubmitted my list because I wasn't aware that you had to have a list to find into the event on Friday in the first place. So I just submitted, you know, a crap crap list just to get in the door and then submitted it later on that night when I actually knew what I wanted to play. But we boiled that down to 1,001 decks. So this is our best guess at what people actually took based on the obvious throwaway resubmissions and um, just going through some other data and trying to figure out what is looks like people are more likely to take as opposed to um you know something that looks like it was put there to be a filler and then resubmitted later um but starting uh with the top we had uh 40.6 percent of the top 32 were black were x that being you know 13 out of 32 lists um for that total population, as Nitsun already mentioned, that's 35%. So with the comparative sample of the top 32, Black War Raymond actually overperformed at this tournament by about 5.5%, which is crazy that the, the best deck in an event that everyone is gunning for, all the people playing Grandis, all the people playing, you know, I guess not all the people playing Cross Arts, but all the people that are teching their decks for Black War Greymon X. The whole world is out to get them, and they still overperform the average at top tables. That was wild to me. Uh, as a person playing the deck, I don't necessarily think it was that crazy, because the only like really bad matchup that Black War Greymon had to, and when I mean had to, you, you had to tech in against Grandis, because otherwise that matchup is so negative, it's actually kind of comedic at times. Unless the Grandis player bricks or doesn't see any of their pieces, then it's not mm -hmm. that bad, but th and that could be said about any deck. And a lot of the decks, um, after going through, like, 300-plus lists, uh, a lot of them were running um, Omnimon X Antibody from BT5, the one that shuts down attacks. Um, yeah. And if Grandis can't mm -hmm. attack into your Digimon... It can't deal damage, and if it can't deal damage, it's not winning the game. Um, so yeah, um, that's that... interesting that you say that because I, I have the list pulled up too, and I was going through just like really like what are the key differences that like these top players ran with that wouldn't necessarily be standard because I know a lot of people can just think of their their cookie cutter black war, their cookie cutter grandis, and uh, we were just gonna take the time to go through and figure out like okay, well what you know, after the event, what tech choices probably made a difference and why these people did well. Um, and Black, or the uh, Omnimon X Antibody is a huge one based on, um, I know in my, you know, tech version of the deck that I was potentially going to play if I was going to play Black War, I was running one copy. But out of all, out of the top four lists, at least, you know, first, third, 
fourth and a top eight. Uh, three of them were running two copies, but they were all running at least one copy, with only the third place player opting for a singular copy of the Blitz Omni instead of a second Omni X. Yeah, it's that matchup is just that polarizing, and that is literally the only matchup you're actually afraid of. Because, like, if you think about Black War Greymon X's weakness, it's being attacked into. And, sorry about that. Um, and that card literally single-handedly solves that problem. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's kind of the only option they have, too, really. And because of how, uh, like, simplistic the the game plan for Grandis is to beat Blackware Greymon, it's also a very safe play for them to just run up, slam Omni-X, even if you give them a bunch of memory, I know it costs six, but you 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 can, you know, do it with the X anybody option card and just pass turn and who cares, you know, this is this is what I have now. You can't do anything about it. Yeah, that actually came up in one of my games. I was playing against a grandest player, and even though I put the grandest player to ten memory, uh if they don't have an out to Omnimon X anybody they're going to be losing because of that card. So that is, it is that important. Uh, I know one of the other like key tech choices that we're kind of seeing across the board is uh, one to two of Metal Greymon Altarius mode promo. Um, I know, Finito, you yourself even ran a copy, right? Yeah, so I initially was trying to run the original... Greymon X Antibody just because I wanted the variation on that protection ability that it has, not solely relying on the X Antibody option being underneath. And that's the reason why I was initially thinking about that. And then I came to the conclusion that, oh, I could have the level four have his protection, and then the level five have the protection I was looking for from the X Antibody. On top of just him being another Metal Greymon, having some more removal on top of it, some good cycling. He's another way to trigger uh, Yuya, which in certain matchups, like against um, Security Control, actually does matter. So it, it just was a pretty decent card for just more protection coverage, because now your Digimon is going to be even harder to out, because if they can bounce it, let's just say one time, and then bounce it a second time with a different card... You're still kind of in a rough spot, but with that card, now it just adds more time to how many times they have to try to get rid of your card via removal effects that they just can't. Um, I think that the, the real tech choice amongst the Black War Greymon players, though, was uh, the person who won the event uh, with opted not to go with the BT-8 Black War Greymon and instead went for the two of Romo Black War Greymon from the BT-4 Dash Packs. Uh, the ability main Digiburst to to unsuspend this Digimon. Uh, also, most notably, as uh, Zenitsu t uh, mentioned in the pre-show, that it has a three-cost Evo, which came in clutch. Yeah, I was like, I just released my uh, Black War Greymon list after the event, and then I made a whole uh, deck profile video on it afterward. And the normal base Black War Greymon is easily the weakest spot of the deck because it only has a very niche usage on like how that card can be good. And it's only good if you're 
like doing the whole chicken game, building your second stack, like that card's the best card to digivolve into a mega in that game of chicken. Outside of that scenario, you're almost never going to be using it. Uh, just because the Evo for four does cost too much, you're passing turn most of the time when you Evo into them, and then you're not using the card, which means you're losing value. Um, versus the Digiburst one, which even though it's mono black, uh, you don't care because all of your level fives that you'd be digivolving um, are black anyway, or part black. And the three cost Evo is pretty good on top of the extra aggression that the unsuspend gives you. Just really can help close out games. And it kind of was like, I was talking with uh, Leechy, one of the better black players. I think he came in 33rd place, just bubbled out. He was also running that, and he was explaining to me, like, the tech on the fact that that is, like, Greymon X Antibody's missing link on how to make it super good and super efficient. So, thank you to the first place winner, Andres Perdomo, because the promo Greymon has now gone in the last two days since the event from $1.79 to $7. That card is, is, you know, comparatively spiked in price. It's tripled in value. Not that it was an expensive card to get before, but it was also a card that saw zero play before. Um, and going down the, the list, uh, so that I know we talked about it a little bit, but the next the next most uh, plentiful list, at least, or uh, winningest list, is Grandis, who won four of the top 32 slots representing 12.5% of the top 32 meta, um, but was actually 15% of the total population of the event, and is the only deck in the top 32 to have an underrepresented top percentage as per their population size. So it's the only deck that underperformed per the amount of people that were expected to have topped based on how many brought the deck. Which I don't necessarily think is that surprising, considering a lot of the top Black War Greymon players were mostly prepared for the Grandis. So if Grandis was the second most represented deck and the second most played deck, and the thing that they were fearing the most, and they teched against it, and they started winning against it, that only makes sense on why its performance would be a little bit worse, and why the Black War Greymon's performance actually was a little bit more because everyone had the same type of idea on how to be able to out the Grandis for that matchup specifically. Um, so there was actually, there were a couple of tech choices made here. Um, I guess going from the top down, most notably the the best performing Grandis player, uh, top eight, actually ran two Reflegemon. Uh, it's probably because you were already running Weedmon, and it's just another thing to Digiburst and try to stun the opponent's Digimon. Um, mm -hmm. So that way you have enough time to be able to like build up another Grandis and try to OTK them from there while still having something to pressure. Yeah, That's, that's just my interpretation on why they would run it, because that does seem like a very odd choice. As a retired green player, I really did like Reflegemon as a card and as a deck when it existed, but... Um, so I can see why this player chose to bring them. Uh, nothing super out of the ordinary with the next list, but the uh, the third list, that one of the top 16s, actually had a, a whole splashed blue package. They opted not to go for the Mimis and went to go for the Davis, which I know isn't super uh, different, but 
because of the Davis, they then opted to run one Megadeth and one Sorai. And a Lobamon. I'm sorry. forgot about the Lobamon. Uh, yeah. I see on another top 16 list, they also opted for Davis, and uh, they were running Megadeth as their big hard mm-hmm. removal option. And then they were also running Korikaku as that, like, hybrid factor. Because uh, a lot of Grandises just need a way to be able to, like, finish the opponent off. So that Korikaku not only lets the Davis grab two potential cards, uh, but lets you use the Davis in a more proactive manner. Um, and then I noticed a lot of the decks were also running the X-Antibody option, which usually Grandis decks before weren't really running because they didn't need it. And now, based on like how the meta is developed, they kind of are teching it in just because it's still a pretty decent card just to kind of shore up some of the deck's uh, own flaws and weaknesses in terms of, like, sometimes building your stack isn't the greatest. How can I make the most out of some of my effects? X-Antibody just helps shore up a lot of potential problems while still being its own security threat in its sense. Yeah, the one of X-Antibody, it looks like, is pretty standard across the lists. Um, So moving down, uh, the next best represented deck, I guess, tied for Grandis and... Uh, the amount of tops it had was cross hearts with four, as we mentioned before, with a population size of eight. So it actually still overperformed its uh, population size by about four and a half percent. Um, and it's a little harder to get into here, um, only because you have multiple sub packages contained within the greater cross hearts whole. So it, if you think everyone knows what a cross hearts deck is, and Trying to point out the differences is a little bit harder, especially because there are, as I said, multiple packages contained within this label. Yeah, looking at the four decks just really quickly, three of them are cross seven decks. One of them is a Merva deck. Uh, cross the cross engine is pretty like there is just a core engine that it uses um, between all of the different variations, and it's just like. The cards that allow you to use the top end a little bit better, uh, that's really what defines it. Um, so a lot of them started adopting the new Taiki, uh, Taiki Kiriha, and Nene Tamer. Just the because, Yep, the Tri-Tamer. Uh, just because it helps you set up for Cross 7 faster um, versus the Merva build, which is still using it, uh, but it doesn't necessarily need it as much. Uh, and instead, the Merva build is utilizing options to help gain a butt-ton of memory in a single turn to best incorporate Mervamon and being able to spawn extra bodies with Rush. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the next next test is uh, Blue Flares, which had three tops, representing 9.375%, and uh, Blue Flares was actually only taken by 3% of players at the event, so it is actually the most overperforming its population size uh, at this event. So it's technically the most winningest deck based on the amount of players that took it. Um, yeah, over overstating its population size by 6.375%, which is huge. Though I guess not that much bigger than Black War, which is still a little weird that it did that well, but um, nonetheless, the three tops that it received show at least a new direction for Blue Flares in BT11. And uh, based on the majority spread, uh, that new direction is the red package. 
So uh, one of Blue Flare's biggest weaknesses is it relies on the opponent having two or more Digimon on the field in order to utilize its effects. With the red package utilizing the starter deck Greymon and Greymon X Antibody, it no longer needs to focus so hard on the opponent having two Digimon, and it could literally do its own thing. Uh, as people saw on stream, if they watched the stream, uh, the Blue Flare player literally killed their opponent in two turns. They were set to three, they crossed into Metal Greymon, utilizing the Starter Deck Greymon, then Digivolved from Starter Deck Greymon into... Or not Starter Deck Greymon. From Metal Greymon to uh, Metal Greymon X. This is the BT9 one. The yeah. red BT9 Metal Greymon X. Yep, uh, which is red, so it allows you to gain extra security attack plus and extra DP to make the swing a little bit safer. Uh, and then you're swinging for basically three checks out of nowhere at three memory, which is crazy. And uh, then if you add Zeej Greymon on top of it, uh, then for literally one more memory you get a unsuspend and an extra attack, which could clear out all of the opponent's security. But still, just checking three security in a single turn, then your Digimon not dying, going into the following turn, you bring out your Digimon out of raising, swing for two checks, and then egg for game. Like, that's that's still a very powerful and relevant strategy. Uh, and it ended up working out in the Blue Flares player's favor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know Blue Flare is something that it kind of struggled on previous formats, uh, mostly because it really couldn't compete with the speed that Melga had, and it was you know at risk of hitting bounced. But it looks like you know quick blue aggro is still very much a deck to beat, especially when it comes to this Blue Flare Digicross version. Yep, uh, and it's kind of, like, a lot of them were running a very similar core package, um, and the only, like, real spice was if they were running Death X and what was their sub-tamer. So I personally like utilizing Yuya as the sub-tamer, just because you're digivolving your Greymon on top of a Greymon of the same level, so that gives you an extra DP boost and... It basically acts like a delicate plan, turning off uh, option threats that the opponent would have to be able to respond. So I I really like that um, that spice and that sub package a lot. Uh, I was playtesting with the Tri Tamer in Blue Flares, and it just it was underperforming. Uh, the extra memory is nice, the card draw is nice, but like it just it really was underperforming in my perspective. Um, and then the other one was also running the Tri-Tamer as well. Hmm. Um, so it, it's harder to compare the next couple lists because they're either two or one-ofs, um, but just kind of going down the line, we've got Wargrey X with 6.25% top 32 representation with two decks uh, and a total meta spread of 4%, so a slight over-representation there in the top. Setcon also 6.25%. 4% uh, total meta spread, 2.25% over-representation in the top. Uh, the one old force, 3.125%, with 2% brought it total. 3.125% uh, Jessmon, with 3% Jessmon total. Um, this is actually the closest. I know um, we didn't go down to as accurate decimal places with the total uh, deck spread, because we weren't 100% sure if these are exactly the 1001 list people were taking or if we had included a resubmission or not. So 
you just kind of round it to whole numbers, make it a little easier. But this is the closest. It was only off by 0.12%. So technically, exactly as many Jessmon players topped as were, you know, statistically likely. And that was one uh, based on the amount of people that brought the deck. Uh, the one BL star, 3.125%, uh, whereas 2% of players brought it. And then uh, I guess the other, like, outlier at the other end, 3.125% uh, the one Dorbrick player, but less than 1%, actually six players total, brought Dorbrick. So the fact that one of them topped is not likely at all, statistically. Yeah, and that just goes to show you, like, a good OTK deck, no matter what it is, as long as it's consistent and fast enough to do it, can still be relevant in any kind of a format. Um, which is, like, both a good thing and a bad thing, because it's, like, that type of speed and consistency and power should be, like, literally the ceiling, um, in terms of what, what a game is capable of, but, uh, at the same time, a deck like that, uh, just won't ever, like, phase out because of that, and it literally just needs a new ceiling to reach new heights, which is the scary thing, because it's just like, oh, I... Theoretically, you could still, in BT12, if you really wanted to, take Dorbic OTK and still be just as fine because your your deck's not changing. You're still powerful. You're still fast. Uh, it's just what the other decks are able to do against you is the real answer. And I think just because Black War Greymon, while it can be a little bit on the slower side, which leans more into Dorbicmon's favor, in terms of how it's able to react uh, to to something like Black War Greymon, it has less ability to deal with it than something like Grandis, but it's trying to beat out, like, beat the game out before the Black War Greymon shows up. Mm-hmm. Um, so just really, like, just to point out a couple things, because I still want to, like, acknowledge the interesting tech choices these players made, even if they were the only ones, uh, potentially of their archetype that made it, um... As much as I <laughs> don't like to give too much credit to security control players, uh, one of the security control lists is actually pretty unique in that uh, they brought a one of King Sukamon for the ability to poop your opponent's Digimon if they have 16 or more cards in their trash. They aren't running any of the Sukamon pieces so that they'll never activate the secondary much easier effect of having three or more Sukamons in your trash, but the 16 or more cards in your opponent's trash is very doable by security controls, so then, you know, given they meet the requirement, they can just hard play King Sukumon for seven and poop an opponent's Digimon. And then they're also running a one of Bagramon, uh, a deck I wish wasn't ass, uh, and actually one of the better uh, control Digimon that they've printed in this game, period, even if they gave it no legs to stand on. Yeah, and I think, like, I was reading online that it's a little bit unfortunate for purple players that the majority of, like, Three, two to three sets worth of purple cards was dedicated towards Bagra because it just it didn't really do any benefit so to bad. purple. Yeah, <laughs> so that's that's just a little bit unfortunate for the purple players. But um, going and looking at the other list, they were taking more of a purple approach. So they were mm -hmm. running like fly bullets. They were running Kaiser Leoman. They were even running um, the. Uh, Salamon X antibody for some extra like searching and recovery. 
they were running the armor package. So it was definitely a little bit like there was some decent diversity between the security control lists. Even though we all kind of hate security control, it is kind of like uh, not necessarily a necessary evil, but it's an evil that some people like and enjoy nonetheless. Yeah, it shows that even in a meta as dominated by a deck that just makes you have as little fun as you make everyone else have, they still can show up and they still can top the events, especially with a couple uh, interesting tech pieces. Um, they're just a lot of good security options out there, a lot of good tamers that set up those security options, and it it is a package that just continues to see support, even indirectly, as we've seen in the form of now Bagra and King Sukumon, cards that were fully not intended to be used in a security control environment. Um, uh, going down towards the... I mean, I, I don't want to say they're not doing anything super unique, but the BL Star list, the only thing that's more of a meta read than it is a tech choice is um, they're running two of the red-blue Dual Tamer and then one of the Kirishiro, the blue Jelly Tamer, and then... Um, four Kakaitis Breath, and two Plasma Decadra launchers. So just all of the bounce to cover um, more weakness, because without the X-Anybody option card, uh, Black War Greymon can still be bounced. And it's not like the deck had access to like that great of removal. The biggest removal that they have is like Fly Bullet, so they need a little bit more coverage, and the seven-costed blue bounce options definitely adds that. Uh, Kyoshiro is good for some extra card draw. Um, you don't care about anything else other than he's blue. He sets you to three and he helps draw you cards. Um, and the Matt and Sora is definitely a really interesting tech choice just because there's so much draw in the game. It kind of punishes the opponent for drawing and like too much and it rewards mm -hmm. you for doing it. So it's just a free memory engine. You're never going to use its other ability at all. But the Beale Star list also was running a one of Lucimon. Um, just because mm -hmm. like they're hard playing it for five, cause there's no other way for the deck to actually play it. And mm -hmm. they're just using it as just a recovery engine or a recovery battery. I mean, I know that's when I played like the first iteration of BL star, that was one of the things I always found is it was a, an option heavy, like control deck that had no recovery. So it just made it way worse than security control kind of on average. So some amount of recovery is helpful especially when in the later stages of the game after they filtered through their deck it's a pretty cheap one at that i think it is the cheapest that they could run without teching mm -hmm. in anything else um and then the uh the key highlight of the old force deck that is featured here again from uh, one of the players in my locals is the omnimon merciful mode i remember hearing about that beforehand and that was definitely something that i think came up and you know provided some to his some of his success uh i just like omnimon merciful mode in general so the thing that omnimon merciful mode does which against one of the grandest players that uh i was playing against um the deck like this type of a deck does struggle because it doesn't have an out for um Omnimon X anybody. Like, it could just stop all of your multiple attacks. Sure, you still get the ability, but you're not dealing any damage in and you're not bouncing anything. So, Omnimon Merciful Mode actually is one of the few ways to kind of like end your turn and out the Omnimon X anybody. And uh, 
it also uh, does some various other things as well, but it, it definitely is a pretty interesting tech card uh, to choose from. I I actually think, and it's something that I I definitely overlooked in like my initial perception of Merciful Mode as a card in general, is that like if you're playing this in a more traditional deck, you know, if you think back to what you want a level seven to be, this this kind of just states like. On Digivolving for each, you know, Mega, you know, delete opponent's Digimon. Who cares? That's in this deck. That's one. That's only ever one in an X antibody deck. That's maybe two. Um, but usually they only have one big thing out anyway. But the, the when Digivolving kill is pretty relevant. And then, um, the but the more importantly, the start of your turn trash trash this top card trash your opponent's security. It's almost more relevant because. In this list specifically, and it's an all force deck, you don't give a shit about the fact that it's an Omnimon. And if anything, that's the fact that this Omnimon gets rid of itself after getting rid of your opponent's Digimon and happens to take security with it just lets you do more all force things because that was another downfall of, you know, like uh, I played Zwart Defeat Turbo in BT5 6, I think. And once you got to the big Digimon at the top, it didn't do anything. You know, it was a big body, but it didn't do any, it didn't have any crazy effects, and neither does Merciful Mode, but it doesn't synergize with your Tamers or your deck in any way, but it just also gets rid of itself to allow you to continue to synergize with your deck by allowing you to use the Ill Force underneath it. The other big thing that Merciful Mode lets you do is, it, like, it's a good turn ender, just because it would retain the buffs that Rena gave Ill Force going into Merciful Mode. So an unsuspended blocker evade Omnimon is still just mm -hmm. like absolutely insane uh, and hard for certain decks to be able to get around, especially if you already used it to try to out the opponent. Um, and that burn on that security, like you said, de basically de-digivolving himself back into an all force lets you continue doing what all force wants to do without sacrificing himself because of that level seven. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, that's the full breakdown of the tops. Um, I know there were a good portion of decks that consisted of the other category, um, but they just didn't have enough. They were less than 1%, so adding them all together it was roughly 6% of the tournament. Um, but I think more people tended towards, at least not necessarily the meta, as we've seen, like, not everyone played Black War, not everyone played Grandis, or even Cross Hearts. Um, but... I think people took decks and practice decks that they thought had a good read on how it played into the expected decks. And I think they saw maybe more success than even they expected to. I would definitely agree with that because, like, a lot of it is just how much you practice on it, what your tech choices are, and how you're able to deal with the spread. And if your deck is able to do that, um, or in OTK decks, lack of doing that, and just how fast can you OTK the opponent, like, a lot of decks are still decently viable. And we have this, like, interesting dynamic in the meta where it's just like, okay, you have clearly Black War Greymon at the top, then you have Grandis trying to feed off of Black War Greymon and win just because the opponent's playing Black War Greymon, and then on the other side you have, like, the decks that are good against Grandis that might be okay into Black War Greymon, but usually aren't, 
But the fact that, like, you do have this, like, rock, paper, scissors, triangle dynamic is what usually creates a pretty decently diverse and healthy meta, despite the fact that Black Wargreymon is as oppressive as he is. Yeah. And so, you know, ultimately, um, I know something that I uh, complained about for months, something that I had not necessarily been looking forward to with Nationals being BT11 in mind. I much would have preferred B uh, BT11 to EX3. Don't ever think I wouldn't, but um, at the same time, Black War being just so good, and it kind of only gets better because it continues to receive support in the next set, um, is something that's probably on the radar for uh, maybe some hits in the near future. Uh, maybe some other decks that have seen the light for too long. I know I've, I've heard rumorings about uh, Grandis potentially getting hit because why would you play any other green deck while well, Grandis exists? Um, and Cross Arts already has been hit. It just, you know, is doing well even though it got hit. Um, that being said, uh, you know, this is the end of the 2022 competitive season for, you know, 99.9% .9 of people. The four players that, you know, the top four are still going on to do Worlds, but I, I mean, unless they do something maybe like bigger and grander than last year's worlds it for most people i mean even by my opinion i don't i don't really know how much i care you know i mean like you said kind of last year worlds is basically its own subset of local like it is just a super local of the world's best players from each of their respective regions uh mm -hmm. for their national level event uh so yeah. like it is it, it puts it into a really interesting position where it's just like okay yes these are the best players but it's definitely a smaller event that does akin to itself more on the line of like a super locals i and see i wasn't necessarily planning on trying to introduce any alternative format thing here but just after thinking because i know we went over in the pre-show how large each of these events were of the ones that we know of and um so I think the... this world's large. I think this year's worlds is larger than last year's because wasn't it top two? Not not worlds. It was top two, but I, I mean just like nationals. Comparing nationals because the oh. the comparison I was trying to make is like so instead of maybe top four, which is still better than top two, which was laughable. Um, that you know if you compare that to something like you know some other esport card sport you know events, you know the um you know. League of Legends has their top three players, you know, for some regions, or so, top two for some regions, or top one, or only if you make it through a tournament, like, depending on the size and competitiveness of your region, and maybe that's something that could kind of get scaled and applied here, of we had a thousand and one people, you know, play in person at the North American Finals, there were only 256 for the Oceania Finals, so I don't think they should just blanket scale it back, and just say, okay, maybe the top 64 of both events qualify for Worlds, and also top 32 qualify for, or top 64 for Day 2, top 32 for Worlds, or something like that. Because, but I kind of want to see more of a real event made of it, you know? Like, uh, something that definitely wasn't provided for Nationals was, you know, you know, okay, Bandai, 32 people per North America, maybe... 
top 16 for Oceana. I don't know how big Europe is. Top, you know, either 16 or 32, depending if they're bigger or smaller. And then probably top 32, at least for Japan, based on the size of the people that probably qualify for their uh, nationals. But, and then, you know, get them all together in person, you know, fly them out somewhere and, you know, put them up, like, just pay for their accommodations, really, at this point. You're, you're participating in the world finals and uh, really make a big show of it. Yeah. Uh, one of the, like, games that I used to play uh, was Force of Will, and they, uh, if you got basically an invite to Worlds, which you had to win, uh, they would fly you out. Um, but it was only one player per, like, big super tournament, but they had, like, at least a couple of them. So, like, I think they paid for eight North American players to, to go, if not more. Uh, just because they won their event when, like, this is a, this is peak Force of Will. Like, literally year two, I think, was mm -hmm. its peak. Um, so... Hey, well, downhill from here, if that's Digimon. <laughs> uh, no, uh, Digimon's way healthier than Force of Will ever will be. Oh, yeah. Um, but, like, like you said, um, have, like, maybe top eight of each region get flown out to Worlds and do the whole Worlds thing. I think that would definitely be more interesting and enticing for people to to be more competitive even if worlds was at japan and it was like japan's backyard like still mm -hmm. i would try way harder to try to win a free trip to japan yeah yeah at least a, a trip where they pay your accommodations to japan like make a big show of it make some real names for players internationally maybe but i think that's always just going to be hard because Japan has to scale back to ours. Uh, I mean, I, I was just reading a Reddit thread earlier today, and it was talking about the Japanese nationals and how there are cards that are probably going to get restricted based upon performance of certain decks in Japan right now <laughs> that aren't even Black War Greymon anymore. Um, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Um, just really for i think enough people I, I mean i don't even unless they also take this opportunity uh something i was going to say when we were talking about the convention aspect make something new like um i know league of legends has done it in the past where they've announced a new champion like in the middle of the like world finals they just release a trailer while we're waiting in between games and in the trailer like everyone's watching the stream and oh look they just announced a new champion like oh wow crazy new character like announce something you know during nationals for all the people because we're all mega fans if we're there you know announce something digimon-y for the people that are there for the digimon event yeah like uh please give me my lugamon card hmm. true you know like um, here's a new exclusive pro like first look at a promo not saying that they should get the promo please don't do the crush card crush card virus thing but like here is the announcement of a new promo pack, or I, I get what you mm -hmm. mean, where like they they could hype it up a little bit something. more. Yeah, like even okay, just like, like the, even just more prizing. Like, hey, first place at Worlds gets to be featured on a new on a Digimon card of players choosing. Like, I think yeah, that would be kind of dope. I mean, Magic did exactly that. <laughs> uh, Force of Will also did that as well. Um. But something just to make Worlds more relevant to enough players, because, I mean, I I consider myself at least, like, 
competitively focused as one can be, if not I necessarily play to that level, but and then I still just couldn't care less to watch worlds. I just it doesn't matter. I, I already saw and spoke with the players that were at the peak of competition for North America and whether, you know, the fourth, third, second or first place winner in North America wins or does well in worlds doesn't necessarily matter to me. But um something that I, I I did think of that I just forgot was um I think this is their real opportunity and probably last opportunity really uh to at least grab the market share that they should accommodate is to introduce a true blue automatic um simulator and with some sort of announcement tied to it and attach that to worlds like hey this is coming out you know fall winter 2023 they're playing it you know now with the very limited scope of they only have to program in the cards that the players are using at worlds and the decks that they're using at worlds because they're playing online for worlds you know yeah i don't know if they put them in an automatic simulator you know give us the digimon equivalent to arena I I don't know if they're going to basically do that. They they might do their manual sim like they did last year for Worlds. The one that uh, looks hopefully like they it's made it cleaned up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, pretty fucking garbage. But like having an auto sim as nice as it would be is kind of unrealistic because of the amount of development time that they would need in order to have a full blown one. Like I know Digi or uh, Dragon Ball Super is getting theirs first. And theirs isn't going to be done for a while, so if Digimon is basically the second card game they're going to do uh, that whole digital transition treatment with, uh, we're not going to see that for a while, if we even are. I mean, But at least Dragon Ball getting one gives us hope. But yeah, something like that would get uh, players more excited to watch Worlds to see what's coming on the horizon in terms of something that they would have access to. Yeah, I mean... That's that's really the only way that I think they could get me to watch Worlds is like to tease or, you know, make that a possibility of come watch people use the first iteration of an automatic online platform. Because, I mean, either that or just rip the Band-Aid off, just acknowledge they're never going to do it and like have the people play with tabletop sim or something. No, um, they, they have their own manual sim, even though yeah, it's, it's, it's worse than rough. tabletop sim. Yeah, I know. Um, hopefully it's shuffler's but, better. Yeah, the shuffler and tabletop's pretty bad. Um, so yeah, that's all we have for uh this episode and ultimately this season. I'd like to thank everyone again for those who joined us along the way. Um, you know, this is going from nothing to something, and uh, we definitely have more planned for you in the future. Uh, there will be a break. As they're, you know, we're transitioning from season one to season two and transitioning from the competitive season 2022 to the competitive season 2023. But we have plenty planned for you in the future. Uh, Do not fret, even if you don't see an episode for a little while. And even if you don't see an episode for a little while, I'll try to come up with something, at least on the YouTube side of things. Um, Whether it's like some sort of side uh, type of show um or something i'll try to figure something out so that way you'll always have something to uh tune into and with that goodbye later